Well, good morning again. Uh, welcome to the last week of our series for the month of June. It's entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? Now, we're asking that question. Who does God say that you are? Who do you think you are, but who does God say that you are? We're going to wrap up this important series today. God says that you are, and we've already seen, a masterpiece, an overcomer, your salt, your light. Today, we're going to ask a question. What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? It probably depends on who you ask. Some people might say, oh, I think of someone whose life was transformed by Christ. They were, on, they were one way, and then they were totally changed. But somebody else, what do you think of when you think of Christian? They might say, oh, I think of someone who's kind of out of touch, a deceived idiot who's leaning on an imaginary crutch. Another person might say, oh, that's a person, a Christian. That's a person who's loving, very forgiving, generous, very benevolent. That's a person who's like Christ. Other people say, oh, Christians, they're judgmental, narrow-minded, legalistic. Others say, hey, they're known for their love. They're known for their compassion. They're known for their faithfulness and their integrity. Then others are going to say, oh, Christians, they're known for what they're against. They're against anything fun. They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew, and they don't run with girls that do. They're against everything, and most of all, they're against each other. They can't get along. What do you think of when you hear the name Christian? What's interesting is that Jesus never called people to be Christians. Now, there's nothing wrong with the term. I use the term all the time. But it means different things to different people. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're a big God. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you call us to be part of your people and we'd ask that you would help us this morning to understand more completely what it means to follow Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Christian, a term first used to make fun of those who were followers of Christ. It's actually Christiano or Christianos, which really means Christ ones. You all think you're a bunch of little Christs. It, it's, a more, it's a little bit like a bunch of mini-me's. Remember Austin Powers? If you, don't watch the movie if you haven't seen it. You aren't missing anything. Uh, mini-me. Yeah, a mini bunch of mini-me's. You're all a bunch of little mini-me's, little imitators. Many ways that would have been flattering to the early Christians. But it was used as a derogatory term. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Now, Jesus never asked anyone to be a Christian. He asked them to be something else. Jesus called people to be his disciple. We're going to look at that word this morning, disciple. What does it mean? Matthew 9, verse 9, we actually see it. Um, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Notice Jesus didn't say, believe like I believe. Didn't say, would you go to church? Would you follow this set of rules? What he said was, would you be my disciple? Would you leave where you are and follow me? Now, apparently, people in that day understood what that meant. If we actually look at the Aramaic, the Hebrew, the language of Jesus' day, the word is Talmud, Talmud, it's M-I-D, Talmud is the singular, Talmudim is the plural, it means the instructed ones. 
In the time of Jesus, in the province of Galilee, that's the northern part of the Judean area, Galilee was very highly religious. They were on the way of the sea, a heavy highway, that a trade route that moved up and down the coast, and Galilee was right in the middle of it. They had lots of people from all nations traveling past them. But the Galileans were more educated in Bible and its application than most. Many famous teachers came from Galilee. There was a great reverence for Scripture and a desire to be faithful to it. Now, Jesus was born, grew up, and spent his ministry among Galileans. They knew Scripture by memory. They knew huge passages, chapters and chapters, simply by memory. They would debate its application with enthusiasm. They loved God with all their heart, souls, mind, and strength. From the ages of 5 to 12, when a little boy or a little girl in the Galilee area grew up or was, was born, when they reached the age of 5, they would go to Beth Sefer, which was in the synagogue. It was elementary school. They would learn to read and write uh, the scriptures. They would learn copious parts of, of, uh, of scripture, and they would understand the, Judea, the faith of following God. And that's basically from 5 to 12, and both boys and girls would go. So in the Galilee area, they were literate, and they were very well versed in scriptures. Now, at the age of about 12 or 13, children would go where their first trip to Jerusalem for Passover. And boys would have their bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah simply means son of the commandment. Mitzvah is commandments. And bar is son of, so son of the commandment. And they would have bar mitzvah. At that point, they would be considered a man and responsible for the law themselves. In those days, there were no bat mitzvahs, daughter of this commandment. There is today. But girls were learning to be wives and mothers. Now, from the ages of 13 to 18, um, boys could go to Beth Midrash, which was sort of like high school for boys, uh, the eager students would go there, but most teens were working in the family business, already learning to, to have a job and, and to be in some sort of trade. But there were certain students that were just, they were so into studying. Then outstanding Beth Midrash students, high school boys, uh, they could seek permission to study with a famous rabbi. They would travel with him. Now understand this, that rabbis were not the leaders of the synagogues, until after 70 A.D. At this time, they were simply traveling teachers, and they would go from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue and be asked to speak, asked to teach, and they might spend times in different areas. Their students were called Talmudim, or disciples. And it wasn't about grades and tests and diplomas. These students wanted to be like the teacher. They wanted to become what the teacher was. It was an intense and personal system of education. Listen, watch, and imitate. Galilee had this intense study of Scripture. And they were determined to live by it and pass their faith, knowledge, and lifestyle onto their children. Now, most students sought out a rabbi they wished to follow, but only a few were allowed to continue to study in this way. You couldn't just go to a rabbi. They had to say, yes, you can come. And not many students, not many students were accepted in this way. And then, even then, there were very few, and they would be exceptional rabbis, who actually would seek out their own students 
It was a rare thing, but it did happen, and this is what Jesus did. You would be with him, you would follow your rabbi, you would live by his teachings, you would imitate his actions, you would make everything else secondary to your learning from your rabbi. Jesus chose the rabbi Talmud system. And Jesus continues to call us to be his Talmudim. He instructs, empowers, and fills us with his spirit so that we can be like him. Being like the rabbi is the major focus of the life of the Talmudim. These disciples themselves were commissioned to become disciple makers themselves. We have that last verse, verses of Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus is ascending to heaven and he leaves these final instructions. We call it the Great Commission. And uh, Jesus came to them, he says, by all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So by the authority and power of Jesus, here is what I want you to do. Therefore, go. And the word is actually having gone. Therefore, having gone on your way, as you're going through life, as you're leading your life, make disciples, make Talmudim of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's interesting to note that in this passage, make disciples is the verb. That is the whole point. And you make disciples by participles, having gone, baptizing, and teaching. This is how you make disciples. So the Talmudim are making Talmudim, disciples making disciples. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek, not Hebrew. So the early writers translated Talmudim as methetes. And methetes in Greek is disciple in English. A learner, a pupil, a follower. Uh, I love this little, uh, this little cartoon. Uh, Jesus is talking to somebody and says, No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. Okay, don't follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Follow me, says Jesus. Uh, a great cartoon. Now, Jesus never said, be a Christian. He said, be my student, be a learner, be my disciple, follow me. I want you to live like I live. I want you to love like I love. I want you to do what I do. I'm not asking you to just believe what I believe. I'm asking you to live what I live. Let's do life together. Let us go and change the world together. I'm not inviting you to a belief system or to join an organization. I'm inviting you to be part of a movement. You're going to get to live like I live. You're going to get to love like I love. You're going to get to do what I do. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a group. You are joining a movement. You're going to follow me as my disciple. Who do you think you are? You've met Jesus. You've been transformed. You've been forgiven. Your old life is gone. Your new life has come. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You're a masterpiece. You're an overcomer. You are salt. You are light. You are my disciple, my follower. And so when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. You're a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not just a Christian and whatever that means to the world. More and more, I am seeing a misuse of the word Christian, even in Christian circles, even in churches. And at, at camp, I notice this over and over and over again. 
Um, a lot of times there would be campfires where uh, campers would get up and give their testimony. But it wasn't just campers. I heard it in counselors. I heard them use this term. And they would say things like, I'm Christian. I was born Christian. I was raised Christian. Well, that's like saying, I'm Canadian. I was born a Canadian. I was raised as a Canadian. I was raised as a vegetarian. I was raised as a Muslim. Okay, what you need to be, though, is a follower of Jesus, a disciple. I am a disciple. You are ones who live like Jesus lived. You love like he loved. You do what he did because your life is not your own. You are bought with a price. You are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hey, lots of response. People just want to be able to say something and know uh, without the mask on. Yeah. So what does a disciple do? Well, I have three ideas here of things that disciples do. Number one, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to find a need and you're going to meet that need. Jesus shares a story about a guy who had been robbed, beaten up, stripped naked, left half dead, and a priest comes along, religious guy, uh, pastor, and the priest ignores him and walks by. Next guy comes along as a Levite. It's like a staff person on the church. He walks straight by. Now, a Samaritan comes along. Samaritans are hated by the Jews. They're considered as half-breeds, half-caste. And it says this in verse 33 of Luke 10. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And then it says in 35 and 37, The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. So here is Jesus. He, he puts him in his Ford F-150, took him to a holiday inn, took care of him. Look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense. And he turns to the people around him, as we learned last week in the, in the uh, Gaelic, uh, right then, Jimmy, let's uh, just you do the same. Go and do likewise. You're a disciple. You're a disciple. And as a disciple, we're going to go and do likewise. We're going to love how Jesus loved. We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to live like Jesus lived. However, I find I'm a bit like the priest and the Levite. I see a need and I walk straight by. Driving down the road and I see someone over to the side and they're changing their tire, do I stop and help fix it? No, I keep driving. I'm at the grocery store, I see an older couple struggling with their groceries. Do I stop? I just keep going. I see a homeless person on the side of the road, do I stop? I just keep on driving. I wonder why we do not meet those needs. I don't think it's because we're bad. I think it's because we're busy and afraid of scams and hijackers and all the other things. I read an experiment with seminary students. The lecturers told the students in this class that they had to preach a message on the Good Samaritan. But they had five minutes to get to the lecture hall to preach the message. They were tight for time. But the professor had planted a homeless guy in the middle of the path to the lecture hall. He was bent over, he was hurt, he was crying. The students had to actually step over the homeless guy to get to where they were going. How many of the seminary students do you think stopped to help this guy? And the report was 
10%. 10% actually stopped to help and find out about this guy that they were actually preaching about. Why is that? They were busy. They were trying to get to the lecture hall to speak the message. They failed to understand what the message was about. We can struggle with the same things. Fear, shyness, unfamiliarity. But you know, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. You're a disciple. And so, what will you do? As disciples of Jesus, we find needs and we meet them. That's what Jesus did. He was having dinner with his disciples. He found out that no one had washed their feet. It was an important custom of the day. Jesus gets down with a bowl of water and an apron. He washes each of their feet. Jesus found a need and he met it. His disciples were out fishing. Jesus was on the beach. He knew they would be hungry, and the Son of God makes a charcoal fire, cooks fish and bread, serves it to the disciples when they come in. He found a need, and he met it. Kids are coming to hear Jesus, and disciples said, Hey, get out of the way, kids. Get out of here. The master's busy. Jesus says, Hey, hang on. Let me be with the kids. Let me play with them. Let me bless them. Jesus found a need, and he met it. And disciples, that's what we are going to do as well. I have stories of uh, different people doing things. I read a story of a a 26-year-old. He was in finance, in in business. But every Thursday for two hours, he goes to an inner-city school and reads to second graders. Read of a successful builder, but he finds time to fix homes for single moms and widows. Uh, In Souk, we had a lady that volunteered at the food bank and some others that regularly staffed the crisis center. We had volunteers in hospice. People just like you and me. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. You are a disciple. Matthew 10.42 says these, And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. You find a need and you meet him. Sometimes it's as simple as a cup of water, a hello, a please, a thank you, just meeting a simple need to encourage someone. And there's a reward coming for those who meet those needs. So as a disciple, we're going to find a need and meet it. But number two, as a disciple, you will find a hurt and heal it. Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. Jesus didn't just heal the sick. No, he heals their hurt lives. He got into their lives. There was a lady accused of adultery and people are about to throw stones at her and execute her and Jesus steps into the middle of the whole situation. He says, those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. One by one, they all left. Jesus defended her and he said, lady, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus found a hurt. He stepped into it and he healed it. Then there's Peter. One of Jesus' main disciples. And Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter, what were you thinking? You walked with Jesus. You saw him do signs and wonders and miracles. And yet you disown him? You deny him three times? What's going on? Now Jesus could have just written him off. Man, you'll never be anything. But Jesus came back after the resurrection. He says, Peter, I believe in you. Peter, you're my disciple. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus said, go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He asked the second time, and and Peter says, yes. 
Go care for my lambs. See, Jesus found a hurt. Peter was rejected. Peter was hurting. So many of us feel like that. We're beaten down. We don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're anything. Jesus says, I believe in you. You're an overcomer. You're a masterpiece. You're my disciple. We're going to find hurts and we're going to heal them. And it could be simply as simple as, something simple as caring, loving, listening, praying, helping. As a disciple of Christ, there's hurts all around us. If we don't hurt, heal this hurt, who will? We find these hurts and we heal them. Uh, John 13 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's how people will know. My disciples, they reach out in love. As a disciple of Jesus, we're going to find a need and we're going to meet it. As a disciple of Jesus, we're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal it. Then number three, as a disciple of Jesus, we're going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus asks you to do that won't fit neatly onto a point on the page. We are going to love like Jesus loved. We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to live like Jesus lived. Jesus says in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. You see, disciples listen to the voice of God as He leads and directs our lives. They're the, those whispers of God. It's the Holy Spirit speaking in their lives, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks, and, and sometimes we have to get to learn to understand that voice. But once we understand it, we're in for the ride of our life. God takes us down some strange roads, some unique roads. The disciples were fishing with their nets by the shore when Jesus comes walking by and he says, boys, leave it all, come follow me. And they drop everything and they followed him. There was that widow. She came to church. She wanted to give to God, but all she had was her two last coins and the whisper of God came in and she put in her last two coins. Zacchaeus, he was like a notorious chief tax collector. Big guy in the government collection agency real sinner guy jesus goes to his house he loves on him and zacchaeus becomes a follower of christ and then zach says i'll give everything i've stolen back four times i'll give half of what i have to the poor when you're a disciple of jesus he's going to talk to you you're going to do what he says average people like you and me you are a disciple and you can make a difference in people's lives. Now, often we'll go, hey, I can't. It's just too much. It's, it's too big. I can't do that. You remember what Jesus says? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Through Christ, you can do anything. What's impossible for man is possible with God. You can do it. You are an overcomer. God has empowered you. And as a disciple of Christ, you are not becoming a disciple. You are a disciple. Christ lives in you. He empowers you. He gives you the words to say. He gives you the compassion. He gives you the ability to speak into people's lives. He gives the ability to make a difference for eternity. So as I follow him, as I do what he did, his power, his ability to change a life is going to work through me and affect others. We are disciples. We are salt. We are light. We are here to make a difference on this earth. And so when you know who you are, you will know what to do. You are a disciple. 
You know, if you know the risen Christ, your life is not your own. You belong to him. You are his disciple. You don't just believe what he said. You do what he did. You love how he loved, and you get to make a difference in this world. So what are we going to do as disciples of Jesus? We're going to find a need and meet it. We're going to find a hurt and heal it. And we're going to do a whole host of other things that don't fit neatly onto a point on a page. There was a story of a missionary girl. She had gone to a different country in a very poor part of the world. And she was trying to help a guy that had been almost dead. He was in the gutter and he was, he was almost dead. Wealthy business guy came visiting that particular mission agency and he saw this very young missionary girl working on this guy. And the smell from his wounds in his body was nauseating. And he watched disgustedly as she doctored his wounds and he turned away and he says, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. The girl paused and she looked up at him and she says, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. But I would do it for the one who gave his life for me. I would do this for Jesus. When you know who he is and you know who you are, your life is not your own and you want more than anything else to live like he lived to love like he loved, and to do what he did. You find a need, and in the name of Jesus, you meet it. You find a hurt, and in the name of Jesus, you heal it. And you'll do a whole bunch of other things that he's going to ask you to do. Other people may not understand, but guess what? You're a disciple, and you live for him. Ryan, would you come and pray for us?